This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello there, and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. I am your host, Trevor Williams. And today on the show, we are talking about the future of agriculture when it comes to urban farming. I am always fascinated with this whole movement of urban agriculture, hydroponics, aquaponics, and really how people in cities are kind of transforming how they're growing their food and how they're getting their food. Um, and also, as an ag teacher, when I was teaching um, for you know only those two years in Daytona Beach, my classroom was actually right next door to the special needs students. And every now and then they would come in, they'd talk to us, they'd talk to um, our, some of my students. And, you know, we just had a good time chatting with them, seeing what they're doing. And the students always had just this really cool attitude of trying to like befriend um, the special needs kids. And it was a great environment. And I've always wondered, like, I, I really had no clue um, you know, what those kids are going to do whenever they're done with high school. Matter of fact, our secretary at Atlantic, um, she had a special needs daughter, sweet kid. Um, but the the secretary, she had to retire once her daughter was done with high school. They didn't know what she was going to do um, for a job. So she was going to retire and figure that game plan out. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't really think about. There's a large population of special needs or underserved communities here in the United States and throughout the world, and a lot of us don't really wonder how we can help those populations. How can we help them find not only employment, but meaningful employment where they're using their talents and their gifts to help everybody else, which, you know, is what we're all trying to do. And so our interview today is with um, an amazing company out of Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and that is Vertical Harvest. And we are talking with their co-founder today, Nona Yahya, and she actually has a master's degree in architecture. And her and her co-founder started Vertical Harvest to serve the underserved community they found in Jackson Hole. And they're all about growing this industry of environmentally sound agriculture practices like hydroponics and aquaponics, you know, where... Um, with hydroponics, you can save 90% more water over the life cycle of the plant. There's a lot less inputs. There's a lot less um, chemicals and stuff that go into it. And it's a great thing to do for supplying produce to an urban community. And to solve the problem with underserved communities, Vertical Harvest employs special needs people and puts them to work with great jobs, um, something that's very meaningful and it puts their talents to use. And the, Nona had a great quote about what they do. They do a great job with pairing the job to the individual and the individual to the job. And so we're going to talk today with, with Nona about how they started Vertical Harvest, 
um, the process of hiring and the education process of the workers, what their future is like, and they're actually going to start working on a new um, farm in Maine, and how they were actually one of the first vertical farms here in the United States. And so this is such a fun interview with Nona. Um, it was so fun getting to talk to her. They've been everywhere. They've been, I think, on ABC. They've been on CNN. Um, so many people are, are interested to learn about their model and what they're doing. And I think it's a win-win, not only for, um, well, I guess it's a win-win-win, you know, for not only like urban agriculture, but also for agriculture and for farming and for underserved communities, which Vertical Harvest is helping out a ton. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. Um, be sure to check out Vertical Harvest at verticalharvestfarms.com. We'll link all of that in the description of this episode. And again, this is the Farm Traveler Podcast. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Nona talking about hydroponics, urban agriculture, and how they are serving underserved communities. All right. Well, Nona from The Vertical Harvest, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Trevor. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm excited to chat with you. I actually had a friend of mine um, send me an article about you and Vertical Harvest, and I read it, and I thought you guys are absolutely fantastic. You're a hydroponic farm, and you um, your employees are underserved community members, which I think is super cool. But before we kind of dive into that, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you got started with Vertical Harvest. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, well, you know, it's interesting. I'm an architect, and uh, I guess I've learned that I'm an entrepreneur as well. And I really was following my passion for local food and my experiences um, with growing up with a brother with developmental disabilities to help with my co-founders conceive of this business model that really addresses both. Um, and, and that's how I ended up being a vertical farmer, which I think, you know, uh, farming in general is so important to the way that communities work, the way we grow and eat food is, is something that I think we should all think about. And, and I think it, it has the potential to solve a lot of sustainability issues with communities. So I fall, fell in love with it. And, um, and it is transformed the way I see the world completely. That's so cool. And so you you said you have an an agri or an ag architecture degree, not <laughs> agriculture. And so when you found out about kind of the science of hydroponics, like what did you think about that? Were you kind of amazed by it? Well, I think I've always been a bit of a systems geek. You know, I think architects are uh, and they're problem solvers. And and I think that um, to understand hydroponics and and more importantly hydroponic farms as this living, breathing system that, that you can really iterate on, that tapped into my inner architect at a really profound level. Um, so, and, and I think, you know, I, I set out to be an architect because I truly believe that at its best, architecture can be a vehicle for change in the communities that we want to see. And and, and marrying innovative ways to grow food within a community that, you know, that's what, what I was really uh, smitten with, with hydroponics, that it allowed us to conceive of what it looks like to bring the farm back to an urban center. And what are the implications of that? Mm, I like that. I mean, that way, like now we have like these huge urban areas that are so removed from it. And hydroponics is like, the perfect way to bring it back to those cities where you can have farms and abandoned warehouses or even on rooftops. And basically you're growing a lot of food, a lot closer to that city. So kind of like you, how you said, it's, it's kind of bringing nature back to the cities, which I think is I'm in Panama city, so it's not a big city by any means, but I mean, we're not, I don't know, like we don't have a lot of farms here, but I mean, I think hydroponics is going to be kind of the wave of the future where more urban areas have places like you guys. Well, and we're all, you know, I mean, despite a little bit of a of a decrease in populations of cities over the last year, I mean, cities are the way of the future, right? And and how can we make um, cities smarter, greener, and more equitable, right? And I think there's a whole conversation right now happening, a national conversation, 
as to what is critical infrastructure in our urban communities and what how can that critical infrastructure contribute to the health of our communities? And I, I fundamentally believe that farms should be a part of that conversation and that they can amplify other critical infrastructures such as transportation or affordable housing. Um, those are two things that Vertical Harvest has co-located with. And, and I think, you know, seeing these things as productive and and solutions to the lack of sustainability that we're identifying in our cities, which is why probably that, you know, they've kind of suffered a little bit in the last year or year and a half. Yeah, totally agree. So walk us through kind of the birth of Vertical Harvest and kind sure. of what all that was like. Like, how did you start it and where is it at now? Yeah, well, you know, uh, the the vertical farming is the fastest growing industry in agriculture, right? And vertical farming means, I think at its root, it means um, using space to grow very efficiently, right? So that we can have a lot of output um, in, 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 an in an innovative way, right? And I think that um, I never set out to be a vertical farmer. I am so happy that I am. Um, because it, it was a solution in a way, like I said, to address uh, our community's fundamental issues that we were experiencing, um, kind of ironically, at the uh, tail end of the last global recession. At Vertical Harvest, we like to say that necessity is the mother of invention. Mm -hmm. So I'm located in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Um, it's an amazing place. Uh, it has a four-month growing season. Yes, that means we have around eight months of winter. <laughs> um, but at the same time, there's a burgeoning local food scene, right? Restaurants, and it's it's part of the economic driver of, of this community. So like many other communities, and I think Jackson's really interesting because um, it's a small town, but it's surrounded by the presence of the national park. So in the summer, our population will grow by 3 million people because um, it's a gateway to Yellowstone National Park. Uh, and so it, 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 uh, in a rural environment, it really operates as an urban context. And most urban places import most of the food that we eat. So Jackson imports 98% of the food from places of, you know, like Mexico, Florida, California, and so by the time it gets to our plates, it's really not at the peak of its nutritional and taste value that we want to see. So we started out by, with my co-founder, looking at that and looking at how could we bolster the local food economy uh, in Jackson and really drive the fundamental results that we want to see at scale, right? So this means a consistent source of produce that restaurants could use, grocery stores and individuals um, that was affordable and that had a, an amount of diversity that would be meaningful to the community. So that's how we, we started looking at food. Um, as we went about that journey, our third co-founder had been an employment facilitator for people with intellectual and physical disabilities. So Jackson, uh, you know, is not known for career development. People come here to ski, they come here to enjoy the landscape, the natural environment, and then they go back to their real lives and developing real careers. Um, so that's hard on the local business community. At the same time, there's a population that's been born and raised in Jackson who were looking for consistent, meaningful work. And beyond that, looking for careers, looking for ways to advance um, in their lives um, and, and access that, that thing that you know, rewards us all, which is, is this idea of work. Uh, so uh, Caroline Este um, picked up the phone, gave us a call and said, hey, if you ever get this greenhouse off the ground, would you employ my clients? Um, that instantly resonated with me. I have a brother with developmental disabilities and um, I, I, from a very early age, I understood that there was true inequity there, right? That he was mm -hmm. not going to be able to achieve in this world the way I was going to be, no matter how many gifts he had to bring to the table. And so that always just fundamentally bothered me. So when she talked about hiring her clients, it wasn't about if we were going to, you know, 
make this greenhouse happen. It was going, it was about when are we going to make this greenhouse happen? And, and that I think, you know, the combination of growing food and futures is why vertical harvest is not only leading right now in, you know, the industry in terms of, you know, best in class produce that, that helps everybody feel like, you know, they're not only contributing to their own health, but the health of others by consuming the produce, but to, you know, incurring a, a, a sea change of perception of what, you know, people, underserved populations are able to do when you focus on issues of diversity and inclusion and how to bring out the ability in people and, and build a business case and culture around that. That's so cool to hear. And um, I think that what you guys are doing is phenomenal because I've never really heard of anything like this where you're you're getting people from um, undeserved populations, people with learning disabilities or physical disabilities to work there. And I, I kind of have a soft spot for them too, because when I was teaching high school ag for about two years, um, the classrooms right next door were the students with learning disabilities. And they'd always come over to our class and my students always had the best attitudes towards these kids. And they would just talk to them all day and they were just so smart. But uh, I mean, my students brought up good points all the time. They're like, hey, what are these guys, what are these kids going to do when they graduate? And I was like, you know, that's a really good question. And I mean, I think that's something that nobody ever really thinks about. And what you guys are doing, you're putting a great system in place for them to get a job, to get a great job where they're helping supply food to people. And so this is phenomenal. I mean, what's that whole process like where you're hiring them and you're kind of educating them on what their job duties are going to be? Well, that um, is a great story, but, you know, even to your point, one in four, um, American adults live with a disability, right? This is mm. the largest minority across our country, one that we could all become a part of at any time, right? And 70% of people with disabilities are kind of invisible to you know normal life, right? They're mm-hmm. you know back of house jobs, bagging groceries, um, washing uh, dishes, cleaning hotel rooms. Um, and, you know, we've all done those jobs. We all have to start somewhere. The difference is that there was no path to upward mobility. And and I think that that uh, is what Vertical Harvest has done best is, like I said, contributing to a sea change of perception of what this population is able to do um, because they are not only contributing the most valuable commodity, as you said, healthy, nutritious food to any community, but they're, they're leading the charge in the fastest growing industry in agriculture. We have to rethink the way we grow food. And they'll be our leaders and our teachers tomorrow of tomorrow in this effort that has the potential to, you know, alleviate some of our planet's most pressing pressures, you know, in terms of land scarcity, water scarcity, um, uh, you know, energy scarcity. And, and so how do we position ourselves to innovate? And I think, that um, is the key to how we've been able to successfully build this culture based on growing, right? Um, the employment model is called the grow well model, but you know, innovation at its heart, at its root, takes all different perspectives, right? You have to be able to see it through many different eyes. And that is, you know, what we're doing at Vertical Harvest. We've created through a Grow Well employment model that's based on the tenets of customized employment, a platform that not only customizes the job to the individual, but, you know, the the individual to the job based on the, the business needs. So it's of equal value, right? And in, in, in that, um, you really highlight the abilities that, that people bring to the table. And I think it, that is at it, at it, you know, the, the heart of what diverse and inclusive workplaces can do is, is bring people from all different perspectives and abilities together towards a common goal and a healthy ecosystem takes, you know, a healthy range of perspectives. And, and so we've allowed for that. We've made space for that in our company, in our, company ethos. And I think that, um, I I think there's a lot to learn from that. And I think it's from, you know, Caroline and my experience with this population, as you're talking about, that we were really open to that. And we knew 
that it would bring us to an unexpected place. And it has, you know, I think within five years of operation, we've seen entry level farmers, you know, with autism or Down syndrome now managing teams and they being, you know, managing departments that the, the greenhouse depends on for, you know, operations and profitability. And, and that is unique and, and pretty amazing because they understand that the progress that we achieve is a direct result of our profitability and that they are a part of that machine towards the progress only if they find the most streamlined way to solve a problem. And it's just really cool to see that understanding. We're all working towards the collective success of this thriving business. Oh, yeah, I can imagine it. It's, it's so exciting. And I think I saw either on your website or on some press release somewhere, um, the way you guys describe it is you're pairing the job to the individual and the individual to the job, yeah. um, which I think is just such a great way to, to, to kind of to work on it. And so how exactly does that process work for you guys? Well, you know, and I think that's a really good point because it does, it takes time. It takes training. Mm, I can imagine, um, yeah. That is the barrier to entry to most people with a learning disability or a disability of another kind. It's, it's the investment in training. Um, And that has to be cultural, that a manager understands that, that a worker understands that, you know, that, that we're going to invest in the individual from the outset and really explore um, what does progress for that individual look like? And it's not only about professional co- progress, it's about holistic progress. Mm-hmm. You know, what, is, what are the personal goals of this, of, of this employee, the professional goals, and then how can the employee engage in, in contributing back to the community? And so, you know, that's kind of these additions to our HR department that the Grow Well model has encapsulated that we think really helps drive a holistic, you know, view of a, of a human that's working. But, you know, you have to understand all three of those aspects to really uh, tailor the job to the individual and the individual to the job. Oh, right. I can imagine. Um, so what's the response been like in Jackson Hole? I mean, are more and more people learning about vertical farming and the populations you're helping? What's the response been like locally? Yeah, all of the above. I mean, I think Jackson has is our pilot farm. Um, from day one, we've been laser focused on what the consumer wants, right? It, and um, we, we've created a product that's best in class and it's been grown by, you know, essential workers that have farmed every day, never shut down for food safety issues or through COVID um, and so it really is reconnecting uh, in our community people with their farmers and, and their desires to have transparency in the food. Um, but it's also been a window to the rest of the, the nation in terms of interest. I mean, we get requests to replicate what we've done in our community from around the world. Um, and the interest from, you know, uh, organizations like the Today Show to Fast Company, um, I think really speaks to not only the social interest of what we're doing, the humanitarian story, but the business case for it. And that it's really strong in the intersection of both. Um, and I think that uh, that's what Jackson has really um, been allowed us to tell that story and the community just, I think it was born out of the community with community support, you know, inspired by the community's vision of what it wanted to be. And so I I think Jackson, it's, it's an institution that's really valued in, in our community. That's good to hear. And haven't you guys started or either you opened or you're working on a location in Maine? Is that right? That's true. We have a plan to expand to up to 10 farms in five years. Um, and uh, Westbrook, Maine is our first location. Um, short on the heels after that, we're working on projects in uh, Philadelphia and Chicago, with different developer partners. Um, but Westbrook is slated to break ground this year, uh, if all goes to plan, which it's, it's moving really, really um, well in the right direction. Um, and it is, it is, quite a bit bigger than our farm here in Jackson. It's about four times the size and 
Uh, we've learned from our hurdles of selling, you know, for five years here in Jackson, and we've really perfected our operations in Maine, and we've really set the stage for a really uh, the prototype for our farm moving forward. Yeah, so that's that's good to hear. And when it comes to hydroponics, I know one of the biggest struggles with it is kind of the upfront costs. Like all the equipment is really expensive, especially if you guys have a big farm like that. So what were some growing pains you guys had when you were trying to start it out and trying to get all of the all the equipment, all the money, all of that stuff? So what were some growing pains you guys had? Well, I think, you know, with anything new, um, it, it's it's hard to, cr- to create a structure, a successful structure. But we had, you know, learning from Jackson, uh, we identified key hurdles, I think. Mm-hmm. Number one is it is a it is a large capital stack. So what are some, you know, financial tools that we could utilize in a, in a combination of, you know, uh, different tools to um, incentivize business growth that has an impact to debt to equity, um, and and what is the right balance of that? Because it is really fundamentally an urban redevelopment project. So how do you utilize financial incentives for the change that we want to see to support the um, the the farm? But once you go down that route, um, there are some key metrics to financing, right? And mm-hmm. number one, it is um, verifying that your model works. So we created an independent engineer's report that we're finalizing right now that really says, hey, this pro forma works. It's based on uh, assumptions that are real and it has outputs that are real. When we go from there, I think a key to uh, you know financing projects such as these are the offtake agreements that we're able to create. And you know, Trevor, there's such a demand for local food, um, not only at an individual level but at an institutional level. And I think one of the things that Vertical Harvest has been able to do so well is that it has a portfolio of products within the leafy green, you know, arena that has a portfolio of prices. And so we can work with not only food service, you know, restaurants or grocery stores, but anchor institutions such as hospitals and schools and the distributors distributors that support them. So we're able to create a range of offtake agreements um, that are, I think, you know, trailblazing in the industry. Uh, we have a price point that works for each of these sales channels and we're able to say confidently, Hey, look, we have the customer for these. Um, they're, you know, they're challenging because nobody likes to commit to pricing. Nobody likes to commit to, you know, think the world can change as we all know. (laughs) Um, but we have really, um, I think, uh, push the boundaries of what what these agreements can do, and I think that's a key to to financing. And then understanding, you know, what level of technology are we going to adopt? There are farms that are dependent, you know, on on just traditional labor, you know, in terms of people. And then there are farms who want to replace people with robots. I think vertical harvest is very healthily in between those two extremes, mm. um, where it's about embracing automation plus people, we feel like that's the sweet spot. And you bring in automation, yes, to increase efficiency, but also to empower the people that are working there. And so that for us is really intentional um, in our in our view of technology and where it can take the farm. So understanding that and having an attitude about that is, is really critical. And then, you know, finding... Um, friendly sources of capital that understand that this is a new industry, but it's worth taking a risk on. I think that um, is finding those long-term partners, um, strategic partners uh, are, are, is, is essential. And, and being able to, with everything that I just mentioned, prove out the model that this is uh, an opportunity to support a thriving business that, that you know, enables the progress that we all want to see. Right. That, that's so cool to hear. And going off of that, so you said you guys kind of bridge um, both technology and traditional workers. So what do you think the future of ag is going to be? Do you think it's going to be more hydropo- or hydroponic farms like you guys with a lot of technology? What do you think the future is going to be like? I think it is about this balance, right? Technology is great, but it has to be meaningful to people. 
right? Yeah. Mm. And and so I mean, you know, we're never going to wholesale replace the way we grow food. I think, you know, regenerative ag and all of you know organic farming, the way that we're looking at how do we farm, that's really critical. And there are some changes that are really meaningful that that we can that we can do now. But I think there's also an opportunity, especially when we look at the market for local food. Um, that there are supplementary ways of, there, there are ways to supplement traditional agriculture. And I think that the hydroponic farming or indoor growing in general has an opportunity to fit within that, right? To say, and, and, and I think this is where I really want to take a position on that there's room for all sorts of urban farms, but we have to, all, you know, address certain problems beyond just how we grow food, mm. right? So what, what is the meaning of these farms to the communities in which they exist? For us, it's about employment. It's about co-locating with essential infrastructure, like I said, like housing and, and what those synergies mean to communities. And I think if the industry is going to survive, it has to really look at what can it do beyond just growing food really efficiently with really cool systems. Mm. That's such a good point. And I'm excited to see where this goes because I know it's funny. I've heard more and more consumers learn about aquaponics, hydroponics, aquaculture, and all that good stuff. So I think that might be the future. And even things like 3D printed food. I'm always amazed at like these 3D printers that print like chocolate candies or pizza or anything like that. Yeah, I'm always amazed at that and how that might be in like 25, 50 years, something like that. It might be the future, but I mean, we'll see. So it's all about scale. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, when you think about the 3D printing right now, it's a very small scale, right? It takes a lot of inputs in order to 3D print that piece of pizza. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. And so I, I think that's also um, the benefit of the way that the vertical farming industry is, is positioning itself is that it can, it can produce a lot of food for a lot of people and it has the potential to do it in an accessible way. Mm, yeah, that's, that's very accurate. I like that. I've always thought, you know, those, uh, the really big um, soda machines where you can do like, I don't know, like a grape Sprite or you have all the different flavors of Coca-Cola or Pepsi there. And right. they, on the back of them, they have like 40 or 50 like cartridges with like the um, the syrup in there. And so I've always wondered if like in the future we have like the 3D printed foods, if it's going to be something like that, where we have like one that has like, I don't know, beef cells in there or something. Another one with plant cells and stuff. And it just prints. I don't know. I, I feel like that's way down the road, but that might be kind of cool. But we'll see where well, that goes. I mean, I think what you're saying, Trevor, is that there's there's so much ro- room for innovation in this space and we mm-hmm. have to support it. Right. Because. It, it is what's fundamental to our, our own healthy existences, right? And so, you know, when we understand um, some of the impacts of our way of raising food, whether it be, you know, through, you know, uh, farming or other methods of, of producing food, I think we need to look, it goes back to the, why I was so interested in architecture and, and becoming a farmer in the first place. It's all systemic and it has implications. So really not only looking at the two cool technologies, but what are the implications to us? Mm. And I think that's a key link that needs to be made. I like that. Do you think like, what do you mean? Like, is it going to be more convenient? Is it going to help our health and our environment or maybe all the above? Exactly. I mean, I think any good solution would be all of the above, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think you have to put, those filters on that innovation to understand, is it worth pursuing? Right. Like, so is 3d printing a piece of pizza really the right way? Just because it's cool. Right. Should we be doing it? What are the problems <laughs> that it solves? <laughs> I guess. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like the conundrum um, from Jurassic park where um, Jeff Goldblum's <laughs> character, he goes, um, all these scientists were talking about breeding and um, dinosaurs, but nobody thought, should they? They wanted to think, could they? But they didn't think, should they? So well, that's that's funny that you said that because I just read an article about why Jeff Goldblum is so popular. Why does everybody love Jeff Goldblum? <laughs> and you know, it's because he's he dabbles in everything, right? Mm-hmm. He's he's a musician, he's an actor, he's a personality. He he does all these. He has great impact, 
And I think that's, you know, it, it, it's kind of a way of looking at things like, why does everybody love Jeff Goldblum? Yeah. <laughs> why, why should everybody love, you know, vertical farming? It has to do multiple things in order for people to resonate with it. Oh, yeah, exactly. And then you have people that are kind of like removed from agriculture and they're like, wait a minute, like it's more than just putting plants in the dirt. Like there's actual science in this. And then you're like, yeah, there's a lot of science like this has been around for a while. Let me tell you more about what's going on in ag and farming. And so, yeah, it's kind of uh, my favorite ride at Disney is the land where they have a bunch of hydroponics and aquaculture going on. And the first time I took my wife on it, she was like, oh, this is actually kind of cool. I'm like, right. But she didn't enjoy it the fifth time we went on it that day. But the first time, it's kind of eye-opening. <laughs> well, you know, and it reminds me, I, I just was on a plane recently. I know, shocking. Post-pandemic <laughs> plane ride. Um, but uh, not not post, mid-post of pandemic plane ride. But um, where I watched this documentary, Farmer, Fisher, uh, Rancher. And it was talking about the science behind each one of them and how we can use science to improve the way we do things, right? And you know, obviously this is a, a national conversation that we're having right now, um, but uh, we're not going to wholesale replace these, you know, historic ways of, of cultivating food, but we can, we don't want to take people's, you know, livelihoods and ways of that they've passed down for generations away, but how can we be smarter about it? And I loved that documentary because it was so informative about why things are done the why they were done the way they were and how can we improve on them and then the real political willpower and um persistence and grit that it takes to change systems you know it takes a lot of time and energy and you need a leader who is going to keep at it even when it's hard mm, i like that and yeah that reminded me kind of figuring out why we've done things for so long versus like going to the future and, and future trends and all that stuff. Um, I think there was a method of growing produce that the native Americans did. I think it was, they like grew corn and beans, I think simultaneously. Um, you know, the corn stalk would go really tall and then the beans would go around it kind of holding on to right. the stock. And I mean, that's so cool. And it's such a, I mean, a very easy thing to do. So I think that's one of those things we can kind of go back and look towards and be like, Hey, they did this for a reason. Let's kind of go off of that and then use our current understanding of science to see how we can maybe not forget about that or do it better. But how can we coexist with that? Like, how can we build um, upon that knowledge? It's, it totally. And from that documentary, I learned about, you know, certain plants that traditionally were looked at as weeds, but they're actually um, natural pest resistant fighters, you know, so that in, in, in the greenhouse we use um, integrated pest management, which means it's like, you know, the Star Wars of bug on bug warfare. We have parasitic wasps that are patrolling our greenhouse looking for the bad bugs and, and, and you know, they never let them get out of control if it's managed right. So it's, it's really cool to see how science can address some of these issues that we've, we've traditionally maybe not looked at to their utmost potential and how we could solve the problems. I love Star Wars and I love that analogy. I'm going to start using it. Um, that's pretty cool. I can, I just imagine like all, all the little aphids and stuff are like the TIE fighters and they're like the ones getting blown up. I love that. That's a great analogy. Yeah. The parasitic wasps are the Jedis for sure. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I love learning about stuff like that because when I was teaching, I was trying to teach my kids like biocontrol and how you can use um, beneficial insects. And so we had a greenhouse and so we bought some ladybugs um, from our local greenhouse store and they were frozen, which the kids thought were the craziest thing. Well, they, they weren't frozen, but they were right, um, like right before they were frozen. And so we let them thaw out and they were like flying around. They ate up most, most of the aphids, but then the next day we came back and we're like, well, crap, where are the, the ladybugs are all gone. Well, we left the vent of the greenhouse open. And so they all <laughs> flew out, but it was a good lesson for them to see, um, how you can manage pests with natural predators, but also you got to check your environment because those bugs want to go out and do whatever. So it was a, it was, it was a good lesson. It was, it was very eye-opening for a few students, which was really fun. Well, I think sometimes, you know, you learn from your mistakes more than you learn from your successes. So mm -hmm. I love that story. Yeah, that's, man, that's the hardest thing too about like being a teacher because you want to have all the answers right then. But I feel yeah. like a lot of the students kind of, they'll relate to you and they'll kind of respect you more if they watch you fail and see how you respond from that. 
But oh, um, yeah, <laughs> and that is the story of Vertical Harvest. And it's become, <laughs> you know, through a series of, you know, we had no playbook. We had, you know, in terms of the, it's very new and it's a very exciting space. But we put in the work, um, and we learned from our mistakes as well as our successes. And now five years in, you know, we feel confident. Um, with what we're able to take forward. And I think that's really important. And not everybody can do that. You can't really dive right in, but um, we had the opportunity to do so. And it, it was, it's a really exciting time to be a part of the organization. Oh, I can imagine. That's so fun. What's it been like getting interviewed by these big brands? Like I know you guys were featured on CNN. I mean, yeah. are they, what was that like? Are they coming in trying to see what exactly you're doing? Cause I mean, they went to, it looks like they went to Vertical Harvest to kind of interview you guys and see what y'all were doing. Well, I love it because it is the intersection of the story of Vertical Harvest. The ones so we've had two CNN coverage. One um, was the Champions for Change, and one is about the future of food, right? And so, it's one hand, it's about technology and where the industry is going, and one hand, it's about you know th this is a group of people who are making a meaningful impact in our world. Um, and I, for me you know, having a brother with disabilities to be able to highlight that people with disabilities can be champions, that they are all champions in our, in our farm and in our community and that they will be our champions of the future. That was a real highlight um, to, and especially in the year that we all had last year, you know, to, to, to be highlighted as, as people who are making a difference and putting in the work to make a difference on day-to-day -day basis. That was a real, just for the stories of the people involved, um, that was exciting. And Sean, one of our farmers, he had spent his you know entire career washing dishes, and now he's unique, really, in the world in his knowledge of fixing complicated and technically um, advanced hydroponic systems. You know, and and so he'll be able to teach people in the future as we expand how to deal with these systems and how to approach it. And what's most important, how to think about problems and problem solving. So that's one hand. And then, you know, to be part of something that we all care about, the idea of the future of food, why I'm talking to you today, you know, it's a movement. And so to be one of the spotlights in that movement is something um, that's very rewarding and, and, and keeps us, it drives us forward to say, you know, what part are we playing in this and how can we keep it moving forward? Um, and, and why do we want to see the future that we want to see? And, and what, what does that look like? Even daring to look five years into the future, you know, what does that look like? Yeah, that's true. And kind of going off the pandemic, um, how has it how's it impacted you guys? I mean, what's it been like? I mean, we're almost well, I guess we're over a year now into it. So what's it been like? Well, the beginning I, I often like to look back. I, I did a lot of writing at that time and I look like to look back uh at lessons learned. Um at the beginning it was obviously very scary. We didn't know a lot, you know, and now we know a lot more about how to manage um, what's going on. And thankfully we're all vaccinated and, um, in the farm. So everybody's shoulders are about five inches lower than they were, you know, four <laughs> months ago. Uh, so, but I think, you know, our first instinct was just let's pause. We took it down to a skeleton crew and we said, all right, let's keep the farm operating. But then very quickly we realized that everybody wanted to come back to work. So, you know, within, I'd say three months we had reconfigured how we work in the greenhouse. Now we had, we had the, the benefit of it being a very well ventilated space. We already have very rigorous food safety practices, including, you know, PPE and all of, all of the things that we all know very well as individuals not working in the food industry. Um, but uh, it was really restructuring how we work together at, at, very quickly. And for people, um, who, you know, when I said before, the barrier to entry is training and the length of training, our team pivoted so quickly, it would have made your head spin. Um, and I'm really just so impressed by that on a day-to-day -day basis. The other thing is, you know, half of our customers went away, poof, right? Um, we had kind of anticipated it looking abroad and what was happening. 
Um, so we prepared ourselves, I'd say maybe, um, <laughs> but you know, we had to, to pivot very quickly also to understand how we could keep getting the product out the door. Mm. Uh, and so there was a lot of strategic thinking going on and the team just responded in a way they proved themselves to be essential workers. Uh, the farm never shut down and we're stronger for it. We learned amazing lessons from it. So um, we wish it didn't happen, but uh, we made the best of it. And here we are. Well, there you go. That, well, that's good to hear. Yeah, it's been really interesting hearing how businesses and even farms have been kind of adapting. I've heard stories of down here in Florida where um, there were um, cucumber and squash farmers that they couldn't ship their produce anywhere. Um, right. And so they started selling direct to consumers. And so consumers would drive by the farm and buy like a huge box of produce for like five bucks. And it was a win-win for both of them. So it's been very interesting. I mean, you find out in times like this, like good companies can adapt really, really quickly um, right. for both their customers and their employees. And so it's good to hear you guys have definitely been doing that. So that's really good. Well, it, we have a direct to consumer line as well. Now. <laughs> your, box, your box of local love that is, you know, uh, and it's still going today. So we're really excited about that. And, you know, the opportunities that we didn't see before, we get a lot of feedback. You know, our, our most valued part of our business is our customer. And so now we get a lot of feedback from our customers. So it also afforded a lot of opportunities that we weren't getting beforehand, right? Mm. They're like, I like this product. I don't like your packaging. Can you change this? You know, and we catalog all of that so that we can, you know, serve our customer better. And we didn't have that opportunity pre-pandemic. So um, like I said, we, we're, we're better for it, I think, uh, these pivots that we had to make. Well, that's good to hear. Um, so what are you hoping for the future to be for Vertical Farms? I mean, as you guys expand, you said to, uh, to Maine, Chicago, and um, Philadelphia. What are some other ways you yeah. hope to grow in the future? Well, I, I'm excited to you know realize our network of 10 farms in the next five years. But I'm also excited to work with other players in the industry who are doing such exciting things um, and to work together. You know, I think there's a lot of opportunity for open source sharing of information for, you know, really addressing problems in, that the industry faces in a holistic way. And the only way you can look at it holistically is by is by understanding all of different methods and methodologies, you know, of, of how to farm. And I, I really hopeful that um, right now there's a lot of investment dollars coming into the space. Right. And so people are naturally very siloed. Um, but I hope that we can, you know, I think we're at a tipping point where we can move beyond saying vertical farming has to prove itself. It's proving itself. And we're saying now, how does it have even more impact on the people who believe in it and who, you know, and, and the, the, it's consumer, right? And mm -hmm. I think we, we can only do that by banding together and, and learning from each other, not only within our own farms. I like that. That's a good point. Yeah. It's going to be very interesting how we all kind of recover and kind of what the future is going to be from here. Um, well, Nona, this has been so fun finally getting to chat with you. If people want to learn more about Vertical Harvest to see all the wonderful things you guys are doing, where can they go? They can go to our website. Uh, it's verticalharvestfarms.com. We, of course, have you know Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn, all of the all of the things. Um, and hopefully, you know, people can add Jackson Hole to their road trip across the country this summer and come and visit us here um, and, and see the greenhouse from the outside. That's very fun and, and, and buy the products. Um, but also to, to learn about our expansion and, you know, you can do that through our website and uh, all the exciting ways that we're positioning the farms. Um, that's really the, 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 where the bulk of the information lies. That's awesome. And so I was just stalking you guys' Instagram. Do I see that you guys also have a vertical farming podcast? No, we were part of the vertical farming. Oh, podcast. okay. But podcasts are on our um on our docket. We 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 really would love our farmers to be able to share their experiences. I mean, 
I think, you know, as we, as we move across the country, what's going to be really exciting is, you know, hearing from um, different, you know, em employees and their stories of how they became a farmer and why and why it's important to them. That's so cool. Uh, well, Nona, thanks so much for, for hopping on the interview with us. We had, it was so fun getting to chat with you. Um, it was really fun. Ever. I enjoyed it. Well, absolutely. Well, thank you. Can't wait to see all the good things Vertical Harvest does. Thank you. Again, thank you so much for listening to the Farm Traveler podcast. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Nona today about Vertical Harvest. If you want to check them out, go to verticalharvestfarms.com. And to see our article on this interview and a bunch of other cool articles we have, head over to thefarmtraveler.com. And you can see all of our articles. We've actually started doing more guest articles on the show, which if you're just on the website, again, it's thefarmtraveler.com, you will notice we have a podcast episode screen and then an article screen. Any and all of our guest articles will be on the articles page. And a matter of fact, if you would be interested in being a guest author on the show, feel free to email me. You can email us at farmtravelerseries at gmail.com. Or, you know, if you follow us on Instagram or Facebook, just message me there. And I'll talk to you about how you can do an article. We've got three or four guest writers right now um, that are going to start contributing every now and then. And um, we just had our first post last Friday, which I believe was May 21st, and it was on how to start your own sustainable farm. And we have one coming out this Friday, which is May 28th, 2021, with our friends over at Arden, which was the Tampa-based um, farming community, which they're doing down there. So it's really cool. Uh, again, if you want to, you know, possibly do some writing for our website. If you want to put up any of your articles on there, let me know. I would love to feature them. Anything farming, food, agriculture, or even education and science would be awesome. So thanks again, and we will see you next week. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.